On this episode of Recruiting Hell, you may find yourself in a position at a job where you're making great strides, but you want something more. Maybe you've capped out on salary, on vacation, other benefits, or maybe just sick of doing the same job day after day for however many years. Today, we're going to look at three techniques that can help you build your own job when you're in an organization you enjoy, so you don't have to start looking elsewhere. Hello and welcome to Recruiting Hell. I'm your host, Rob Conlon. It seems like half an age since I've done a solo episode, and I know that we had a few more than I was comfortable with in January, but we're back to a more traditional format this week. I'm hoping that the interesting track we went down over the past few weeks was of benefit to you, especially the uncut episode that aired last week. A lot of time went into that particular presentation, and as you heard from the mini episode that was released a few days ago, there were a couple things that we didn't address. If you did happen to miss both of those great pieces of content, though, they are definitely worth a listen, no matter your age, uh, because they are about ageism, but sometimes ageism can be on both sides of the coin. Now, this particular episode on manufacturing your own promotion was suggested by a very good podcast friend of mine. His name is Walt Gaynor. And he hosts a show called Boss Locks. And Walt's show is all about defining professionalism, or rather redefining professionalism, by proving that natural hair and professionalism can and do coexist. It's a pretty neat concept for a show. I love his, his logo and his branding. And he's had some really excellent guests and discussion about how normalizing natural hair is a win for us in the workplace. We're made stronger by diversity, and I'd consider it a personal favor if you went and gave Walt's show a shot after listening to this episode of Recruiting Hell. Again, it's called Boss Locks. One other quick thing before we start. If you're looking for the single best piece of information to jumpstart your job hunt or to recharge your tired one, be sure to grab our free guide at recruitinghell.com. Again, that's recruiting-hell.com. We'll email it directly to you to get your job hunt going. Just click the little button on the front page, fill out a quick form, and it'll be sent along. Thanks for that. Let's hit today's topic. We're not only about finding new jobs here on Recruiting Hell, but also better ones, which is what today's episode is about. Manufacturing your own promotion. Now that's something that sounds like a bit of work, and you're not wrong. It totally is. It's not only work that's going to put you under some additional stress, but it's also going to sort of be a darkest just before the dawn kind of situation. Now, a quick disclaimer for this episode and the advice given herein, this is based around my personal and professional experience and the steps that I took to advance in my career. Now, bear in mind that not all company cultures can be shifted in the ways that I'm going to be describing. And in fact, some company cultures may actively resist you attempting to better your position. If that seems to be the case, I'm going to refer you back to every other episode of this show to help you find a new job. Again, there has to be an amount of wiggle room to allow this strategy to bear any fruit. So you want to get that upgrade at your job, right? Okay. Have you checked out what the normal career path is for your position? Does your company have a normal track for people that are looking to advance through the ranks? Are you maybe in a department with high turnover or maybe low turnover or perhaps no turnover? Regardless of what you answer to any of these questions, you can look to create your own position. 
But why do that, though? Why would you want to create your own position? Well, once upon a time, people thought of something called initiative, and by golly, does that not work anymore. We know that we just can't walk up to the CEO or other important person in the business, whether we work there or not, and tell them what's what about giving us a job or promotion. That's not the way things work in 2020. Funny side story on walking up to a CEO and telling them what's what. I did once march into my CEO's office and tell him what's what about a company policy or a lack thereof that was a massive conflict of interest for the organization. When I exited that room, his office, I was confronted by our organization's chief firearms instructor who asked me what the fuss was about. I told him what I had told my CEO, and I have never seen a six foot five, bearded, strong, hard man ever be so surprised. You know, you've done screwed up when the 20 year army veteran tells you, you're a brave man. <laughs> so, whether or not that led to my departure from that organization, I'll never know. But frankly, I don't care because I still exercise the company policy in the right way. So, back to this promotion thing, we generally can't tell people up the chain from us, promote me, unless there's a good reason to do so. And we're going to look at what makes that compelling right now. So what makes a good worker? Do they get all their tasks done? Sure. Do they have great customer feedback? Probably. Are they great at their job? I'd say so. These are the three primary building blocks that you need to have before you can even begin this journey. Again, you need to get everything that you're assigned done. You need to be great with your customers, or your clients, and you have to be pretty darn good at your job. You need to be firing on all cylinders in your current position for at least six months, if not a year. And I'm not talking that you got hired six months ago and you finally know what you're doing with your job. You have to be working towards a mastery level of your position. Because here's where you have to start turning up the heat. You have to be good at what you do every single day so that you can add to it. So step one to engineering your own promotion ask for more responsibility. Now, this is one I want to be exceptionally careful about. Asking for more responsibility isn't simply letting your boss scrape their least desirable tasks from their plate to yours. Be specific in what you ask for. For example, if you have an interest in workforce planning or scheduling for your organization, Talk with your supervisor about the aspects of their day that involve this and express interest in learning them. Indicate that you want to learn about this field and make sure that it's something you're genuinely passionate about. You'll be a very easy read if you aren't genuine about it. So let's say your supervisor works with the existing scheduling employee, collecting employee absence requests and vacation requests to forward on to the scheduling department. Ask if there's a way, while preserving everyone's privacy, if you can help to be in charge of that. It's a simple fix that likely helps your next level up take something off their plate. Maybe they love that part of their job, maybe they don't, but it's something you requested, not the scraps that you were given. In this scenario, you've also now become connected with the existing scheduler as well. Don't waste this opportunity. You can now begin to build a relationship with this person as well. The goal here is that when you take on additional tasks like this, hopefully all of them mostly in the same area, that when a position opening appears, or when you hear your scheduling colleague gripe about the amount of work he or she has, you can step in as the solution.
This is sort of called what I would call micro networking. We're going to hear that phrase a little bit more later today. So your goal is to build the relationship with those above and around you that will make them think to tap you for a job should it open up. Again, this is step one, but it's not the only step you can take to making and engineering your own promotion. Step two, learn how to make an impact filter and a business case. Businesses do best when they are run on data. Yes, gut feelings can make a compelling argument in many cases, but nothing helps back up a gut feeling like cold, hard data. And this is where creating an impact filter in a business case will come in handy. So learning how to create these two documents is key because it allows you to build the case for your next stepping stone at a business. Before diving into this, please note that I do not own the concept of an impact filter. That belongs to the talented Dan Sullivan over at Strategic Coach. I encountered this concept of an impact filter at my last Inc. 5000 company from the teachings and implementation of it from my CEO there. So if you're interested in a visual representation of Mr. Sullivan's concept, you can find that with a quick Google search. Uh, you just simply plug in impact filter and either interact with his site or of course, Google image search as you please from there. But I think our discussion and explanation of the document will be more than sufficient to help you get the concept. So long story short, an impact filter is a quick, at a glance, look at what a project, improvement, or in your case, a new position looks like for the organization. This is a snapshot to be presented to those with the ability to help you manufacture your own promotion and give them a quick 30,000 foot view of what you have in mind, the best outcomes and the worst outcomes. So it's divided into six sections and most of them are pretty darn easy to fill in but the ones that are tough to fill in are also the ones that help make the best case for your project. Let's take a look at them. Section one, purpose. Simple, what's the purpose of this impact filter? Why does it exist? Section two, importance. Again, it's very simple. Why does this project matter? These two sections can likely be one to two sentences a piece. Very brief, very, uh, not necessarily broad, but very brief descriptions of why this is important and what it's trying to do. Number three, a little bit more difficult is the ideal result. You need to forecast what the benefit to the company is. Now, let me say that again. This section is for what the benefit to the company is, not to you. So that one can be a little bit more expansive. Maybe it's three, maybe it's five sentences, something along those lines. But again, make sure it focuses around what the benefit to the company is. Section four, this is the tough one, success criteria. What has to become true in order for this project to be a success? This is the big daddy. And this is where you're gonna spend the majority of your time when you're creating an impact filter. You need to outline in detail, the input steps that need to be taken by any involved parties and the outputs that will result from those inputs. Now, this is where having numbers, data, and other measurements and observations before starting a project can come in exceptionally handy. So again, be on the lookout for things that can help you to make this document better by using data. 
So generally, you can't really just dive into an impact filter without at least an inkling of what might be some of the data you're going to use. For example, if you're looking to add a second supervisor to your department, you might be looking for and finding some research on optimum ratios of frontliners to supervisors. If your department is rocking a 20 to 1 supervisor to frontliner ratio, and your one super seems to be a bit stressed, it's things like that that make for a good success criteria, ones that lead to best practices for your business. If you can show your leadership that an optimal ratio and researched ratio is 10 to 1 instead of 20 to 1, that helps you engineer your own promotion. Step five, the best outcomes. I've always used this to paint a great picture of how things are going to look after we take the steps that are outlined in number four. This one's pretty easy to do. And paint a picture is exactly what you have to do. Don't exaggerate, but definitely make this segment not only seem plausible, but also possible. That's the, that's the best part about it. The trick is, though, you have to make the success result of this as close to what you say your best possible outcome is. So there's a little bit of matching that has to go on there of what you say you can deliver versus what you can actually deliver. Make sure those two are as close together as possible. So let's take a look at the, a quick example of that from my career. A few years ago, I was managing nearly 2 million people in a social media community on Facebook. That's a lot of people to handle for just one dude with a keyboard. So in between the times of putting out fires, I made one of these impact filters to bring on some help. I pled my case not only with the increase in the response times we'd see to our followers, but also the efficiencies that this would lead to by having more than one set of hands on our followers. We could work closer to real time with our customers, which was a big goal for our executives at that time. So what did I do? I made one of these impact filters. I presented it to my chief customer officer and informed him that we could have better service with another person to give me a hand. What I didn't mention to him is that this would actually allow me to have a life again, as I was literally working 100 hours a week. Yep, 8 a.m. to 2 a.m., six to seven days a week. And I would actually get a chance to spend some time with my family. <laughs> so what I also leveraged into this was the need for a social media lead, someone who would act as the point person. And there's the rub for this one, folks. I was positioned to take that social media lead role. I was showing the business acumen by strategizing with an impact filter to position myself and fill that positional need. Let me be perfectly clear with you. I did not relish those six months that I worked 100 hours a week. They almost cost me my marriage. And I would never, ever advise you to take such an extremely difficult task on simply to try and get a promotion. Long story short, when I was given the initial assignment, the marketing department began to really pump dollars into the community, advertising it, and it rapidly grew out of control. Make sure that this doesn't happen to your project. However, after getting things a bit back under control, the step into leading the team for a time was a very logical one. Step six. The worst case scenario, one of my favorite ones to write. This one's generally pretty easy. Just let everything go wrong. Nothing gets done right. The company loses money. This is an overall terrible idea. 
well, maybe you don't paint a picture of absolute like doom and gloom, but be ready to present some pretty blunt and actually potentially sobering facts if things don't go the right way. This is okay. It shows that you're thinking of the worst case and looking to prevent it. And if you'd like, make sure you take a page out of episode 36 of this show. That's the one where we hosted Lori Rudiman and she talked about pre-mortems. Tune into that episode and she'll walk you through what one of those is. Definitely worth applying a pre-mortem to step six on an impact filter. And that's it. An impact filter can take an hour or two at first to fill out. But once you get good at them, you can generally crank out a reasonably good one in somewhere between 15 and 30 minutes, especially if you have good data handy. So now we have this, this impact filter, this one page usually, and that's kind of the pitch to the folks up the chain. So what do you do when they come back and say, well, okay, tell me more. Oh, now what do we do? Well, this is where the business case step comes in. There are a number of ways to write a business case. You can Google search those. There's 10, 15 different links that'll send you 10, 15 different directions. But my favorite is similar to a sales proposal. Now, this is a much longer, more expanded version of your impact filter, and it allows you to explain the details behind why this particular idea of yours has some legs. Now, keep in mind that not all impact filters lead to business cases. They might get rejected right out. But the ones that do, if you have something to make it to a second stage, you have to treat it similar to a science project. Only this time, you're not going to have your results or conclusions sections fleshed out. Those will be up to you when the project gets approved. So what am I talking about? And what does that look like? This is as easy as identifying the problem, both succinctly and in greater detail, and then proposing a hypothesis in your business case, which of course we know is an educated guess or an educated guess at the solution for a problem. Follow this up with the materials and resources needed to get this project handled. And of course, these could be financial, they might be equipment, they could be people, they could be responsibilities or any one of a number of other pieces of that puzzle. Now, the next part is one of the toughest, the steps or the methodology. Describe in more detail the steps you're going to take to make this business plan come to completion. Include things like timetables, expert opinions, data, and other pieces of the equation if you have it. A good business case is just meaty enough to make an impact filter look very lean, but it's also lean enough to not be something that people would dread to read. So once you have both of these in hand, it's on you to make those deliverables happen once you have the green light for your business case. Step three of our three major points today. Work to micro-network with people closest to you in your organization. Micro-network. Ooh, that's a new one. We haven't heard that one before. So let's talk about that for a second. Let's define that term a little bit more. Micro-networking is seeking the one small but incredibly unique thing about your intended networkee that not only means a great deal to them, but is also something they absolutely love to talk about. It's one tiny facet of who they are, but it's among the most important things you can know about them. So what you want to do in this case is use the power 
of social media and the insight that it gives you into others as a bit of a secret playbook. Now, more than ever, platforms like LinkedIn can give us critical data that we might not get in the course of our work discussions. Job history, educational endeavors, extra activities like podcasting, all of these little tips combine to make for an excellent way to continue to micro-network with your colleagues. You might look at one of your colleagues' LinkedIn pages and find out that they have a podcast. Well, here's what you do with that information. You go give it a listen. You listen to two, three, four episodes. Ask them a bit about it. Invest in it. Invest in them. And this is exceptionally important for small-time shows because every listener is precious. Recruiting Hill is a small-time podcast, and yet it still ranks in the top 10% of shows because of its listener size and its longevity. Not everyone out there has a show with longevity, and if a podcast is their extracurricular of choice, encouraging them in something they're doing is incredibly valuable. Now, this extends to any piece of information you can find out from LinkedIn. It doesn't have to be that they have a podcast or whatever it might be. Maybe they publish something. Maybe they had made a painting. Maybe they did some charity work. Finding this is different for every single person. But put that research to good use and make the investment in others. And oftentimes, this can be used to help make an investment back in you. Reciprocity is something we as human beings do naturally. We feel obligated to return favors and to give when we have received. It's important that we realize this concept as while we always network for the give, we never expect to receive. The receive comes when it comes. It's simply our job to give. The one word on micro-networking is that you must be tactful with it. Use it in a sense when it has a true impact. And don't try to stuff it in or ham-fist it into a conversation or necessarily bring it up in front of other people. You'll pay heavily for that in damaging the, your relationship with that person for sure. Micro-networking is something we'll revisit again in the future. And if you'd like to see a great example of it, head to RecruitingHell.com, click on our blog, and scroll down to the article titled 12 Crocodiles. It's a great little story about how this worked perfectly for me. And this can be templated and used for your job search as well, whether you're upgrading or looking for a completely new position. So to sum everything up here, by using a combination of requesting additional responsibility, creating sound business cases and impact filters to gauge the impact of ideas to your company, and implementing little tiny things like micro-networking, you can work to help manufacture your own position. Remember, much like regular networking, this isn't an overnight thing. It takes time and it takes dedication to put in the work and show that you are the solution. This is by no means, of course, a guaranteed method, as I mentioned earlier, but it's one I've used multiple times for myself to land promotions and not only find myself a better job, but to help bring my family a better income. It's my hope that it does the same for you. Be sure to drop me a line if it does. That's it for our episode today, folks. So closing out for us here at Recruiting Hell, we are coming up on the final episode of season two. And I feel like I have, I have so much to do. My head is just absolutely spinning with this. But don't worry about me. I'll get through it. 
at the time of this recording, episode 40, the, the finale for season two is still sort of taking shape. And so I'm not going to necessarily tease anything right now, but I will clear up a few things uh, before we shut out for the day. Uh, the Hellies, unfortunately, will not be happening at the end of this season. I uh, took a long, hard look at it, and it kind of wound up being one of those, if everyone wins an award, no one's really special kind of situations. Plus, I'd like to engineer some more listener interaction on that end as well, because I think it's better when it comes from the audience. It really is. But something I will tell you about is the community. The Recruiting Hell community is coming soon for listeners of this show. We're going to be setting up on Discord with our Season 3 launch. And once that is prepped and ready to go, we'll be giving you that server address so you can join the discussion with your fellow job seekers, myself, and hey, maybe we'll throw a couple special guests in from time to time. Again, that will be going live when Season 3 debuts. So, hey, date to be announced on that. We'll be in good shape. Here at Recruiting Hell, we have a mission. It's to educate 10,000 job seekers. To help 10 of them get a new job by directly applying the knowledge that they learn here from this show. We also want to make sure that we can save 10 lives by getting the world back to work. Remember, you are worth more than your work. You can find us all over the internet here at Recruiting Hell. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and YouTube. For more from the show, visit our website, recruiting-hell.com, where you can also find our blog, social media accounts, show notes, and links to, of course, both our Public and our Patreon page. It helps support the show and helps support your job hunt further, of course, with our mission and, of course, the great work that this show does to help other people out in the world find new jobs. If you're looking for that best information to jumpstart your job hunt or to recharge your tired one, be sure to grab our free guide at recruitinghell.com. We'll email it directly to you to get your job hunt going. Just click that little button on the front page, fill out a quick form, and boom, it'll be sent right along to your email inbox. Feedback, questions, and comments can always be directed to therecruitinghellpodcast@gmail.com. Recruiting Hell is a production of Westport Studios and is proudly made in Wisconsin. Finally, as always, a big thanks to Purple Planet Music for our themes and you, the listener, for tuning in. I'm Rob Conlon, and until we meet again, keep moving forward with your self-betterment and your job hunt. It's a marathon, not a sprint, and recruiting hell will be here to help you keep pace. <laughs>